Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm Matt Helgeson, your pilot for the evening. <laughs> uh, this is my co-pilot, Jason Daphnis. How are you, Jason? Uh, welcome to Crossfade, well, yeah, everybody. Exactly. We're we're trying to trying to get in the spirit here. Um, so yeah, this this episode we're gonna um, we I just this is kind of my idea. So if it's uh, bad, blame me. But uh, <laughs> hey, I never I thought, take responsibility <laughs> when my ideas suck. You don't need to do that either. <laughs> I uh, it occurred to me, uh, Pitchfork, uh, you know the the famous and well known uh, indie rock and music website uh, has they've they've uh, given I believe twelve albums uh, in their history a perfect 10. And so I was like, well, we should just look at the list and each take one, um, try to take one we're not really familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of an interesting list of, of who has received this. Um, I I was telling Jason earlier this week that, uh, the first two on the list are funny because, uh, I I tend to forget that Pitchfork actually just started, um, here, like in Minneapolis in a suburb called, uh, St. Louis park. And I think Ryan Schreiber was just running it out of his parents' basement at first. So the first two that got it were actually, um, bands that did get, um, you know, kind of bigger nationwide as well, but they were primarily local mm-hmm. bands, 12 rods, um, their EP gay and Walt Mink El Producto. Um, and yeah, they were, so that's kind of interesting at first. Um, Walt yeah. Mink's drummer, uh, Joey, uh, Warrenker, he's, he's gone on to play with tons mm-hmm. of people. He subbed in, uh, for REM when Bill Berry retired, he's played with Beck's band a lot wow. and stuff. So he's kind of just a general, he kind of turned into like a, LA kind of go-to kind of guy, I think. Um, and then the one that I selected, which I was not familiar with, Eamon Tobin, Bricolage, Radiohead, OK Computer. That's definitely like Pitchfork. Yeah, red I've, meat I've for never sure. really listened to that, but even I know that's, that's yeah. you know, that feels like a Pitchfork 10. Yeah, Bob Dylan, the Royal Albert Hall concert, uh, the infamous Judas concert where he was doing the electric stuff in England and they kind of the audience wasn't real into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Bonnie Prince Billy, I See a Darkness, Flaming Lips Off Bulletin, another that's pretty classic pitchfork, Radiohead Kid A. And you'll notice by the trail of Dead Source Tags and Codes, Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Fiona Apple, the most recent one in 2020, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, and then uh, the album we're going to discuss right now, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. Uh, apparently, Wilco is a band from Chicago. Um <laughs> Not really well, familiar I, with them. Not re- I were, really wasn't in the demographic for this album. Really? Um, I'm just is this irony? It feels like yeah. it feels like a joke. Okay. I, I <laughs> no, don't know. It's, it's, I can't see anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I listened to this album out of quite, a bit, quite a bit back in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, I was I was definitely in the demographic for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. <laughs> I was a fan of their, uh, you know, Jeff Tweedy fan before from his previous band. And then uh, the first couple Wilco albums were or three Wilco albums before this were great. Um, but this one was sort of the one that I, I guess it felt like it opened a sort of a new chapter for this band. And I think it kind of put yeah. them on a different scale. And uh, I wanted to so, ask, you, you know, Jeff Tweedy stuff from before this and probably the Wilco stuff that came before this. I'm not too familiar with the band at all, which is why I picked it. Uh, you know, for its preeminence, I kind of wanted to see what, what the hub, hubbub was all about, I guess. Was their previous stuff more country or less country than this? His first band was Uncle Tupelo, which is kind of, I mean, if you had to like pick a band that started alternative country, I mean, it's probably them. They okay. were kind of like a okay. punk country thing. That makes um, sense. Great. I mean, awesome band. And then the first Wilco album is definitely more, you know, kind of a country rock album. And then the the next two being there and summer teeth kind of 
start to get more and more off that kind of more traditional thing. And, and they start to bring in some like more different experimental and elements and stuff. And then, yeah, I think that's sort of leading up to this album, which uh, was sort of, well, I guess we should talk about the story too, because it, it's really like, yeah, part of this album, I think is, is also the story uh, around it. Um, and yeah, that's part of why I wanted to get it just all the twists and turns. Of course, I don't know it that intimately just the time that we've had with the album, but so as I understand, they recorded it and went through some trial. Actually, maybe we should put a pause. Should we listen to the first track or a bit of first? Yeah, track? why don't we? Do I feel that? like yeah, yeah, I feel like Ben's always barking at us about that. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, here is That's a good I, idea. Am, I am trying to break your heart by Wilco from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. You might know this one. Sing along if you do. Kind of get this vibe of this album, sort of like feels like the songs kind of fall together sometimes. Yes, out of and the ether. No, normally, I wouldn't um, let that much play at the beginning, just because it's like not the song. It doesn't hit until like the minute mark. I think it's pretty important to understanding this song because of how like there's so much going on in the background and so much around it, like a cloud of instruments and sounds, uh, and then this main song in inside of it, this catchy melody and the structure and the chords. You know, it was just an interesting exposure, I guess, to to knowing what this album was about. Yeah, I love the drums in this part. They're sort of, they're kind of mm-hmm. random, but they're actually in beat. It's sort of a yeah, that's a and great like little touch. they feel disconnected from the rest of the song in a way. Like there's a lot of roominess on them, where there's not a whole lot of reverb on the instruments and voice. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's very dry. I think Tweedy's vocals are always really dry. Actually, like almost I, a '70s kind of thing. I really like them. It it does remind me of like a what's his name like a BJ Thomas type thing, sort of like <laughs> yeah, muted and yeah, nasally ish. Yeah. I really love his voice. <laughs> Wow, BJ Thomas, I love that. What a drop. I wasn't wasn't expecting that. (laughs) But I know what you mean, yeah. I mean, 70s, everything was so dry. You know, like Mm -hmm. drums were dry. um, I know we talked over it, but maybe now is a good time to mention a little bit of the story here with this record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there there is a documentary um, called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart uh, that is definitely worth a watch. Um, But yeah, this is sort of a troubled period i think for the band in general um it was recorded in late 2000 it was released uh on september 18th a day a week after 9-11 and i think the band is somewhat not falling apart but um after this album glenn Koch, he, uh the drummer uh well no this is the first album with a new drummer they mm-hmm. lost their original drummer glenn Koch, he comes in and then there's a lot of tension between Jay Bennett, uh, the sadly late Jay Bennett, uh, who died in two, 2009, and, and uh, Jeff Tweedy, and, and Bennett leaves the band after this. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, 
the big the big thing that I remember was that it was um, rejected by the label yes. uh, Warner Brothers, yeah. which is reprise, which is really funny because um, I guess the, the path it took was rejection by reprise because of the AOL Time Warner merger. The president of Reprise gets gets the boot. Uh, the new president doesn't like the album. They won't change it for him. They say independent really release, like take it on your own. And the band's lawyers, attorneys, whatever, the go-between, managed to get this walkaway deal where they don't pay anything to get the rights to the album uh, as it stands, like the one that Reprise doesn't want to release. So they do, uh, and they decide it's, you know, leaking, it's appearing all over the internet, we don't want it to sound like shit for people, uh, we're just going to release it independently. So like you said, in September of 20, or excuse me, 2001, they decide we're going to put it out on our website Matt, Yo, this is I, before, see, that's what I heard it. That's what that's, I remember. That's great. Like before streaming, before Bandcamp, even they're putting it on their website to listen to for free, driving you know Yo. what I'm sure were monumental amounts of traffic. Uh, and and I'm sure file sharing and you know right, right. It it had just like they had lost control of it, so they decided we're going to own it, own the you know control the narrative again. They throw it uh, on their website, and then of course everybody loves it. It's already a classic. It of course gets this pitch pitchfork perfect ten. Uh, Actually, let's see what they said. They said, um, oh, I pulled a quote. I'm forgetting exactly what. Anyway, uh, the Pitchfork Review loves it. Everybody loves it. And uh, then, of course, all these record labels start coming back to them. And they're like, hey, we want to put it out. We want to release it. Uh, yeah. So that they can make money on the CDs, something that doesn't happen today. But they want to release it. Um, the band keeps turning down offers for like too small of places, too big of places, etc. Finally, they go with Nonesuch, which is a Warner label which is the same like ownership of reprise. So Warner paid for this album twice in essence. Yeah. <laughs> they, no, I they, mean, it, they paid it to produce it. And they paid to like release it. It is wild. Yeah. And you know, one thing that has really been striking me listening to this is that, um, and I think this is partially just because of, you know, 20 years elapse and, and music mm-hmm. changes, but it now to me, this does not sound like, this super crazy like challenging record you no, know no it doesn't sound it, like it, a pitchfork it sounds like 10, yeah. uh, um you know i mean I, I understand you know if you you'd heard the previous wilco albums and maybe they were signed on the basis of their first album which is definitely more of a roots rock kind of record um and they've certainly gone back to that on subsequent albums sometimes and they've certainly mm-hmm. got weirder on other things as well but yeah it just, I just you know it kind of sounds like a, a like a really good popular like indie rock record you know yeah what I mean? yeah and, yeah and um like you know and also i wanted to we'll we'll play the song because this is definitely one of the songs that people remember but like I, we'll go in uh, next song is heavy metal drummer and i'm like what as a label like if you have an indie rock band like what do you want for like a single an indie <laughs> yeah, rock yeah. band single than heavy metal drummer you know what i mean like it, it's just it's super catchy. It's super poppy. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just so odd to me that they were they, they acted like this was you know Captain Beefheart or something. Yeah, I I don't I can't put myself in the mind of somebody who listens to this album and says I don't want to release this. This sounds too divisive. Like this doesn't have any single material on it. And I don't know if that's just because like it's two thousand and one and I'm eight years old when this album was released and I just don't have the perspective to be able to say like I don't know what that what that what mindset that would take. But yeah, this sounds like really solid. I won't say like ex- super experimental or super plain, but like straight down the road, right? Like nothing way yeah. too divisive. I mean, the, the production, and I think there's sort of a, uh, I don't know, sort of a ghostly quality. Things tend to kind of like fall in and out of focus mm-hmm, and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's sort of a, a a lot of it like, well, let's play heavy metal drummer because this is like 
what we were just talking about. And this is yeah. definitely, this is definitely, I think this one is also the one I feel like you could pull out of this record and yeah. put on a different record and it would fit. This, this one always struck me as a little bit of an anomaly in terms of the mood of this record, but it is, it's a really catchy song. Yeah. Uh, here is Heavy Metal Drummer by Wilco. It sounds like a Beck song, honestly. Yeah, the drum is very, like, yeah, mm-hmm. 90s Beck. Such a good hook. Yeah. Shiny, shiny pants and bleached blonde hair. A double kick drum by the I always love the double kick drum. It's just a funny little <laughs> it detail. Is yeah. It's a very musician-like detail. Yeah. <laughs> that guy uses a double kick. <laughs> Playing kiss covers. I mean, this is, it's just, it's a classic kind of pop song structure type song. Yeah. So this is what I, this, what I always come back to is like, didn't they think this sounded marketable to them or I I don't know. Which is, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, I don't get it. I don't get what this doesn't do for people. Um, so what else? I mean, I'm trying to think of a song that better kind of captures, I guess Jesus, et cetera, is a pretty, is this a very Wilco song? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely probably one of the more. Yeah, I would say Jesus Etc. is definitely a Wilco song, Wilco song, you know. Okay. But um, let's dig into what that means. I'll play it from here just in a second. The arrangements are really good on this yeah. album in general. You know what it reminds me of? This reminds me of when we had A.J. Moser on to talk about Arcade Fire. And we talked about how there's like luscious instrumentation around it all, how it feels a little bit off-kilter, a little bit jangle-poppy, a little bit indie-poppy, like a smashing of genres somewhat. You can come by anything you want I'll be around You ride about the stars Wilco to me though like this album you know in a lot of respects this album in terms of arcade fire like they're always kind of very like triumphant and stuff or at least yeah, they were yeah. back then and this is this album is definitely feels like sort of a like hangover record or you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's very kind of wistful and downcast mostly. Um, and I've, I, one thing that I had forgotten about, um, which this song ties into was, um, you know, this was recorded in late 2000 came out after nine 11, mm-hmm. but like a bunch of people kind of like felt like this had some sort of like prescient, um, little things about nine 11 in it. Like lyrically. Well, like the cover is two towers. Oh, I thought you meant specifically towers, this song, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, and like this. Yeah, 
but when he says a tall building shake, mm-hmm. um, the song Ashes of American Flags. War on um, War is a Yeah, there's like one. these little like uh um oh uh I assassin down the avenue is like the second line. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I mean people are kind of I think re- reading way more into it and obviously like, right, the band right. recorded it in in like wrote these songs probably in the beginning of two thousand or whatever, but it was just kind of an interesting little thing that I kind of forgot about that people yeah. were sort of reading into that stuff. Um, a little bit of a hauntology of this album then like Yeah. I don't know. It uh read what you will into it. I I feel like you could extrapolate these lyrics to mean a lot of different stuff. Last cigarettes are all you can get. Skyscrapers are scraping together. Your voice is smoking. These sound like more metaphor than like direct illusion to me. Oh, for sure. I don't think it's true. But I mean, it's, right, it's no. kind of an interesting. I just like when people like take songs and kind of build these own like mythologies around them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, the stairway effect. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, well, what uh, what are some of the ones that stuck, uh, stuck out to you? Let's uh, let's dig into those. Yeah, yeah. Um, Camera, the second track on the record, sounds a bit like a Kinks song to me. We discussed a Kinks album on this uh, podcast, and I had a really good time with it and listened to it a bunch. And I think that is still stuck in my head a little bit when I go back to uh, Camera by Wilco. Yeah, I never thought about that, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. The like really open uh, harmonies, the octave. Also, like the syncopated rhythm, the bar now is, I don't know, with different instruments. It feels like it would be like it's a song from the 60s or 70s. Yeah, I'm I'm a really big fan of Lenkajki. He's a, a, a great drummer. Um, I've seen Wilco live. Uh, oh, nice! A few times. I saw him a couple of years ago, right pre-COVID, I think. Um, but they're they've turned into like just an amazing live band over the years. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, they've done like three or four NPR Tiny Desk concerts, and you can go. And I think going back to like 2004, maybe was one of the first. And you can watch each of them in sequence and see like, oh, like they were good at first, but the second time they're like much better. Third time they're much better, and then fourth time it's like, wow, they are really dialed in. Like yeah, vocally, and, uh, levels, uh, rhythm, everything is just so pitch perfect. Yes, and they uh, after this, it's a couple more years after this, they pick up a, a guy uh, Nels Klein, uh, who I'm a huge fan of from a lot of different things. The Nels Klein Trio. Um, what does Nels he's do been in this tons band? of bands, uh, and he's he's kind of really comes for the more art music kind of like weird jazz experimental world, hmm. um, and he is just a like an unbelievable. Um, guitar player like um, so they've kind of gotten this almost like jam band thing that's kind of developed live now oh really um, yeah there's this one song Impossible Germany that they have and that sort of turns into like this guitar odyssey for Nels and um, that's cool so yeah so they like yeah it's been interesting because like you know I, I saw them earlier on and they were a, a fine a good rock band doing their songs that sounded good you know yeah, but yeah. they've kind of turned into this I mean, I suppose they've been playing basically like 200 shows a year, probably for mm-hmm. 20 years now. So, um, but yeah, they really developed into a hell of a live band in, in the in the recent years. Nice. Yeah, I feel like not many bands go this long 
this continuous, even if they've got to swap in members, um, to give them that staying power of like, I don't think they write bad songs. Like, I don't think there's one that anybody's like, this is a real stinker from from Wilco fans. You know, I feel like people just yeah. accept most of what they put. Like, they're putting out a country album later this year, I guess. By the time this episode comes out, I think it'll be out. Um, yeah, I saw that. It's kind of a return to his roots in some ways. Um, yeah. Let's see. What else should we hear? Um, do you want to hear War on War? I do. I do. Because that was one of the songs I wanted to talk about. So here is War on War, just before Jesus, etc. in this uh, sinking. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, I don't love every album, but I always feel like the baseline for Wilco is like, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, it's never yeah. like, ooh, what are you guys doing? It's sort of like some of them, you know, they're... They're a band that can, like, border on dull, maybe, at times, you know? Sure. Uh, just because they kind of have a very low-key thing, and they, you know, they can kind of do a Wilco song, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in their sleep. But, uh, you know, they've definitely um, had some... There's a, They've known called Star Wars. That was a while back. I really liked it. Did, um, didn't that win a Grammy? I feel like I won They might have. Yeah, that was another one that they put out for free as well. Sick. Before it came out. Um this one's another one that just has such great melodies in like the instruments and vocals. They, I think the secret sauce here is that Wilco, like they know how to put together a song. Sure. And they know how to make it sound just interesting, but they've also got like all their best songs just have this great hook at the center. That's just very catchy. Yeah. Yeah. like a lot of cool little production like that little keyboard thing there and you know mm-hmm. this song like nice little touches that kind of make yeah. it not standard but they don't overwhelm the song I right think. The, the first track that we already discussed um i'm trying to break her heart was probably the craziest of them not like sound wise but like how much they're jamming in there and it is like they'll bring in a tack piano for like a repeated melody for a couple bars and then drop it you know just like an explosion of creativity in one song that still ends up being a pretty like hook driven i won't call it basic but like straightforward song yeah and oh you know i should also shout another uh, guy that's important to sell him jim o'rourke um he is sort of a <laughs> sort of a zelig like figure in underground rock he's hmm. he was in so- uh, sonic youth for a while he's produced a lot of stuff he's done some really interesting and cool um solo albums he was brought in to, to help produce this record i think they were having problems and they sort of needed an outside thing mm-hmm. and i think some of the otter elements might be o'rourke's influence um and actually uh there's a tweety o'rourke and i believe bennett's in it uh side project called loose fur oh um, yeah i read about that, that yeah so that i mean that was sort of be somewhat of a sister album to this i think in some in some ways See, but now I'm, I'm getting into this 9-11 conspiracy thing. So now I'm hearing like, <laughs> no, Matt. he said die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah. Maybe I'm going to be should... posting weird like notes app <laughs> screenshots on Instagram with my crackpot theories now. They're going to be deleted in 10 minutes and everybody's going to yep. try and screenshot them for proof. Um, proof yep. of what? <laughs> Just proof. <laughs> Maybe we should skip over Ashes of American Flags. Maybe that'll send you over the edge. No, I, I, well, I really like that song, actually. No, I do, too. You want to jump there? Yeah, why don't we do that? Sure. Here's Ashes of American Flags, the only track on this album with an explicit tag on Spotify, so hide your kids. Really? I don't remember. I don't, I don't know what's explicit in here, either. But Did he swear in it? Let's find out. 
maybe they just mean your kids aren't going to like this. <laughs> I love the idea of a Spotify that's like, kids think this sucks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, yes. In this in this verse, he says, uh, fuck, he says, I wonder why we listen to poets when nobody gives a fuck. Okay. Yeah. But he says it in a very Jeff Tweedy way. Right after the unlit cigarettes line. And Diet Coca-Cola Yeah, I mean, I think partially it's like, you know, knowing the story of what the band was at the time and then, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously the times that were going on at that point, you know, there's just a, there is a very kind of like stoned out kind of exhaustion about this album at points, especially like this song. Yeah. Definitely the energetic nadir of this, of this record. But again, good. No, I mean, I I mean it in a good way. It's just, you know, there's sort of a, yeah, kind of a melancholy aspect to it. So in their 2001 review, Pitchfork, uh, which gave this a 10, said that no one is too good for this album. It is better than all of us. What do you think that means? <laughs> Man. <laughs> trying to figure it out. They, they needed, they, yeah, they could calm down a little they bit. They need to probably. check it sometimes. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. At that period, you know, some of that earlier, like, internet writing is, you know, I'm sure I have some things I wrote for Game Informer that I really would not want to see. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> I mean, they were excited about the album, uh, <laughs> but and it's a good, it's a great record. I think it's a great record. I, I, I could, but that said, I could definitely see a lot of people that wouldn't like it. You know, right, for right, right, not being their thing. But uh, I, I guess, yeah, I just that that era was just you know that kind of early blog era stuff was yeah. like very prone it, to hyperbole. I would say was the the mark of the times. Definitely. Um, if, if I can put you on the content stretcher, um, this is a ten from Pitchfork in 2001 or whatever. I'm not sure what they would do if they, barring any of that, if they like re-reviewed it or if it showed up on a best of all time, I don't know where it would land, but I want to know, is it a, what number is it from? Like it's a Matt Helgeson. What if it's a pitchfork 10, what would you give this? Boy, I don't, this is what people really come to the website records for. that way. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really good. Probably like an eight or a, you know, not, I mean, it's pretty high. I don't know what you'd give perfect. Yeah, in terms of an album, I, um, I guess it's your own, it's your own sliding scale and all that. I just find it because Pitchfork, like the only thing people talk about from Pitchfork's website is the scores, is the you know the quantification. Same thing with yeah. you know the video game reviewing uh, markets. Like all people want to know is the number, kind of. So when you abandon the number, people kind of have to think a little more about yeah, what the subjectivity yeah. of it plays into the. So my and I, I kind of really I hated that Pitchfork kind of really perpetuated that sort of now with you know like shit like rate your music and stuff it's like that kind of just obsession with like metrics and like you know scores and stuff kind of is annoying to me um but yeah i mean i'd say an eight uh or you know it's a really good record i mean i i I really enjoyed listening to it again i loved it at the time so i mean i i did too i enjoyed this little dive uh i do want to get you i don't know how in the mood you are to be like angry or upset or diatribe but like 
I think that's relevant to our. I, I, I think it's relevant to our conversation that that like Uh-oh. we discussed. Is this going to be how, about um? What's that band uh, that I hate? Greta Van Fleet. It's not going to be Fleet. about Greta did Van they cover, Fleet. Um, not to... Did they cover Ashes of American Flags? <laughs> they, it was their uh, big political moment for them. Um, no, I, I. But like, I think it is super relevant to talk about what like. Because my perception of this album going in was, oh, it's that band that I didn't listen to a whole lot, that I know some people who listen to, et cetera, et cetera. But then when I see it, it's a Pitchfork Perfect 10, I'm like, oh, I must pay attention. I must, like, revere this somehow, knowing that somebody somewhere on the internet who got a lot of views on their article really liked it. Is It puts that sort of, like, maybe it's because I grew up on the internet, but it puts that sort mm-hmm. of, like, oh, this is an album of import and cultural significance that I must, yeah. if not like, I must at least consider. And I don't know if, like, if your brain works that way. I don't know if that's a discussion we really want to get into, but I think it's No, I, it does. I mean, I certainly, like, in the pre-internet era, I definitely remember, you know, I bought, uh, I had, like, a Rolling Stone record guy that was just this huge kind of, yeah. like, phone book size thing of all these, like, reviews and scores he'd given out. So, you know, I think it's natural. I mean, if you know, it's the same way if you um hey everyone, that's Louie. So hopefully he'll calm down. <laughs> Say hey Louie. Um uh I'm dog sitting right now. Uh anyway, but yeah, no, I I, I you know to be honest, that's why they do it, right? Like it, yeah, it yeah. does, you know, it just causes conversation, right? You know, and you, you could give it a nine point five and that I think it's just as good, but if you put a ten on it, it's just gonna cause a stir. And they obviously like the fact that they've pumped out, you know, three to four album reviews every day yeah, for 20 years and they've only done it 12 times. You can tell that they, I think, think this is like, you know, a really important statement when they do it, obviously. Right. And they it, don't, I do appreciate that they don't overdo it, actually, whether these albums are the ones that should get it or yeah, not. I was about to say, like, it is telling that the first one was in 96. Uh, then they had uh, like six or seven more between then and 99. And then since 2000, they have given out four or five. I'm sorry. It has not been that much. Like in 22 yeah. years, they've given out five, six more of those. They've yeah. been, they've obviously become a little more sparing with it. Maybe a little self-aware of like what this means to like wider criticism. What does it mean when we give it a 10? Yeah. You know? And I mean, I definitely have talked to people, you know, that are somewhat connected to the business and it definitely doesn't mean what it used to mean. Sure. Um, There was a time in, you know, like this era or maybe a little bit later, you know, getting on like 2000. Um, That's Oscar. I got Oscar Oscar and Louis are, uh, it sounds like the the main characters of Pikmin. Hey buddy, come here. It's okay. It's okay. Um, So... Well, sorry, I I do have one anecdote about that effect at the time. There was a band from here called Tapes and Tapes, and they had an album called The Loon, and Pitchfork gave it like a rave review. Uh-huh. And we were playing a local – it was kind of a listener drive thing for the uh, uh, Radio K, our local um, college radio station, amazing mm-hmm. station. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were playing this bill with Tapes and Tapes. Uh, I believe Desso actually was – a very young Dessa was headlining. Oh, sick. Um, anyway, so we do it. And, you know, I'm talking to the drummer, nice guy. And actually his grandmother was from my hometown. So we were just talking about that. And that was like literally the day that their big review came out. They got a nine point something and best new music and all that. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy. You got the, the, the pitchfork thing. He's like, yeah, we had no idea it was happening. We just saw it like everyone else. People were texting us and everything. And um, I was like, wow, that's crazy. And so from them being on a bill with my band, you know, which was <laughs> not big. Um, I mean, literally, I think like a couple weeks later, they were like headlining a big place in New York. And then about a Damn. month later, 
they had been supposed to open for this British band, the future heads. And we actually ended up getting put on that bill at the last minute because they had canceled to go do the, like the, the pitchfork festival or something. Jesus, big festival that was quick. So, I mean, it was literally like, and you know, they're the good band, you know, they're, you know, good for them, but it was just weird that they were, it's just like at that point they could almost like pluck this band out of obscurity and just like, boom, you know, they were, yeah. they were right there. And I mean, you know, I don't know how long that all lasted for them, but I mean, there was an effect and I don't think that that effect necessarily exists to this day to the degree that it once did. Sure. Sure. But, but you know, all, but you know, against my argument that that Fiona Apple album certainly got a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, but I think that would have gotten a lot of attention anyway, probably just because, you know, it was kind of a comeback for her. Um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. It was just interesting times back then when, when like certain, you know, blogs and websites could really, I think things have now be kind of, you know, filter all through like Instagram and Twitter and discord yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's the Twitch and, and yeah, like and all these different ways that things get out. And I think that exactly. it's hard to kind of just you have these centralized things that can sort of put a stamp on it. I mean, the thing that I would compare it most to um, when I was growing up was the source magazine, hmm. which is the big, you know, it was the Bible of hip hop. Right. And when, it, when an album got five mics in the source, it was a five mic scale on mm-hmm. that stars. A five mic album was like a huge deal. Really? Like that was an enormous deal when something got five mics. So that, that was probably the analog I could think about, you know, pre pitchfork, um, that was sort of analogous to that effect, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely, it was, it was an interesting time when I think people were just sort of getting used to the idea of like finding stuff on the internet, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, now it's, uh, through, like you said, filtered through so many channels and like, I think the core of it is you are much more, uh, because you're exposed to so much more music, you're much more attuned to what you like, I guess. And when you find a critic who likes what you like, you just sort of like pop into their sphere. I'm not like, I don't listen to that needle drop guy, but like that is just a great example of he doesn't always have the same opinions of a main of a major outlet. Therefore, you know, he creates some kind of conversation around it. He, even if he gives it a number like everybody else, he's still like got a different audience, right? Yeah. Like there are different people who listen to him. And, you know, he's kind of basically doing pitchfork in, in video form on YouTube. I'm not like a huge fan of that guy, but, um, was it Anthony Fantano? I, I don't know. I don't, I can't, yeah, I can't stand him personally. I, I was trying to be soft. <laughs> I really can't stand seeing his face or hearing about him. Oh, you're getting in trouble. Um, <laughs> He'll never be on this sick, podcast. Like, uh, 1.2 million Twitter followers on you or whatever he has. But, um, <laughs> but what I've actually found in my own kind of reading is I feel like I, I go to less like, you know, Pitchfork really was sort of a generalist publication right Mm -hmm. you know it was it was online but in in concept it wasn't that different than like going back to a rolling stone magazine or a spin magazine right Right, it was like we cover like youth culture and we try to cover you know a little hip-hop a little pop a little heavy metal a little punk you know sort of now i tend to find myself just the way the internet is now when you can sort of like i don't know like when an event album comes out say like you know kendrick just came out or Mm -hmm a Taylor Swift record comes out. It's, it's, you know, you can hop on and be listening to it in one second and, you know, spend 45 minutes on it and be like, okay, that was cool. And now I at least know what's going on. Yeah. So you don't feel like you need to read reviews of those things as much. Mm-hmm. Well, Kendrick's, I, I actually was curious to read reviews of Kendrick because that album I think is like <laughs> something else and it could be like polarizing, but right. um, 
anyway, what my main point is, like, I, now I tend to follow like these people on Twitter that are kind of super into like one genre mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and are real specialists because like they they're they're digging out you know like really obscure or you know albums that only exist like in a pressing of five hundred on like Bandcamp and stuff. So I'm yeah. almost more interested in these people that. Because now I can follow a variety of all these different people, and like one guy might be super into jazz, and one guy's into hip hop, and one guy's a heavy metal guy, and it's just, it's more interesting to me to follow people that are like just very very devoted to kind of like digging into one area of music because I, I feel like I, I find things through them that I, I I know I wouldn't find on my own or be aware right. of on my own. That's a great point. That the uh, sort of fragmenting has it's got its upsides too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we do have one more perfect yeah. ten album to discuss yeah. here. So this one, man, I did, I mean, Eamon Tobin, um, I knew him as an electronic artist. He actually did, uh, what was that? I think I, I, I did remember that he did uh splinter cell chaos theory. Yes, and he did, baby. So I, I sort of knew the name around. I knew he's an electronic artist. I didn't really know much more than that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I figured that he was well-regarded. Um, so this, this one I chose cause I didn't have any, you know, reference for this, this guy at all. Um, he's Brazilian, uh, and then moved to England. I think he's was in England then for a long time. And he was, um, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming he's, he's sort of considered drum and bass um, just mm-hmm. based on this album. Um, Cause there's some kind of pretty, you know, classic drum and bass things here, but um, let's, let's listen to this. Cause it, I, I'm curious what you thought of this album. I ended up kind of really enjoying it. Um, so I don't know if we should just play the first song. Um, yeah. I'll start a little bit in uh, per my, attempts to focus on what's really the like hitting point of the music. But yeah, this yeah. is a uh, Stony street from Eamon Tobin's yeah. bricolage. How surprised were you when this album opened with like a super jazz uh, upright riff? Yeah, that's what I I was just going to say. This this was like really surprising to me. And I mean, I know these guys use a lot of samples, but I I guess I expected not that it's not electronic in certain um, respects, but it's definitely, um, yeah, way more jazzy. And like he's, he's using tons of jazz loops and samples of mm-hmm. horns and drums. Um so, I mean, right off, I was kind of like into this. I mean, I, I love jazz and, and this seemed like a really cool way that he was kind of putting together tracks that felt just interesting with, you know, this kind of, I like the dichotomy of like really old music and really modern music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that this album has. Uh, what was your take on it when you first got into it? Well, like you, I only knew that he had done a Splinter Cell soundtrack and sort of pulling from that, I imagined, oh, this like always breakbeat, always like jungle uh, sort of you know, genre electronic thing. Um, but I hadn't really thought about his music more than background, more than like scene setting. So to focus on it is a completely different beast. Uh, you start getting like this again for the first few minutes of this song, it's just kind of a straight up jazz bit and it's really good. Um, and that's what surprised me most was like, Oh, he's actually constructing like whole, whole, uh, you know, storied songs rather than 
uh, a lot of electronic music. I think we've discussed before how dance music is like a very time and place kind of thing for, for both of us. And that's yeah. what I thought this music was going to be. It was like, oh, I'll listen to a minute, 30 seconds of it. And then I'll skip forward two minutes and I'll get another minute, 30 seconds of like different sound. That's not how this music works. It kind of builds. It kind of like iterates. It does change on a dime sometimes. I was really, really pleased diving into this. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of moments that just stick out. Yeah, this definitely feels like more of a headphones record than a like a club record. Yes, um, overall. Um, but that's not to say it doesn't. I mean, I, I, we should play. Um, I think Chomp Samba because this is sort of what I, I I got into it a little bit. I had a roommate that was really into dance music back in the nineties, and mm-hmm. so I, I would get some here and there of drum and bass. There's one album by a guy named Goldie called Timeless that I really liked. Um, but so drum and bass was this, it's. It's always these super hectic, like super sped up. Like I think they use a lot of jazz drum solo, like little bits and pieces to create this almost like overwhelming chattering kind of skittering mm. um, drum drum beats, like super low, like kind of wobbly sub bass, and then a lot of kind of spooky kind of pads and things over that. You know, kind of very right. Is is that is that music where the uh, like the Matrix soundtrack would have come from? Like that break beady bassy electronic sound or am i thinking of a completely different genre um i mean boy i maybe to an extent i may be full of shit um mm. but i think actually that you can apply that to everything that's pins <laughs> tweet for this podcast i may be full of shit um but <laughs> i think partially you know but you know I, I i really get hesitant to go down those like uh, micro genre kind of things. Yeah. Techno yeah. Is music it witch and house music. or is it industrial slime? Man? Yeah. Or like, Jesus Christ, like, you know, micro house. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, Chomp Samba to me, like is, they used to play this stuff in between bands at first Avenue back in the day a lot. Like, um, and so I just, this is, I just imagine being that place and hearing this kind of stuff. So Chomp Samba to me has that really like hectic kind of vibe that I associate with that genre. All right, here we go. Yeah, like that sound. Mm. Sort of like I can imagine a bug skittering across the floor. Yeah, just like that hyper, like fast kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then with the kind of like really kind of weird, like almost empty quality of like these kind of weird samples. Yeah. That's a really big part of this song. It almost sounds like he's like he's taking that whole sample from like a movie soundtrack or something. The bum, 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 bum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that almost like I, I, I almost I, I imagine they were like just trying to find like drum solos on like jazz records and just taking like little micro like you know measures and stuff and kind of yeah, putting yeah. them together like that or and sometimes maybe layering two on top of each other. Was it uh, Boards of Canada that does that really, really, or was it the Avalanches? I'm trying to remember what band we were talking about mm. that does that really, really specific. Like, who would ever think to loop that type stuff? Well, Avalanche is definitely um, mm-hmm. it did a lot of samples. I 
I don't think either one of those were even like close to drum and bass. This was like oh, was no. primarily UK stuff. Not in drum and bass, but just the concept yeah. of like listening yes, to yeah, for sure. hundreds of hours of music to get the like one beat or one and a half beats that are like, oh yeah, I can make a real dope drop out of this. Yeah, for sure. Um, what were some of the songs that uh, that stuck out to you? Well, if I can, uh, this track is one that made me think of the music that I had heard in Splinter Cell uh, 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 Chaos Theory, a game that I played way right. too much of as a kid. And every time I hear that song, I hear, um, and I'll just play a few seconds of it. Uh, it is from a track. By the way, by the way, I just want to like ask you your opinion on this. Yeah. Part of me says like when when these type of guys get jobs like that. Are they just thinking like this is such a easy layup like cash grab thing? Yeah, like <laughs> I, you know what I mean. Like I almost wonder if they just go through their hard drives and stuff, or I don't know. It, it, <laughs> just it seems like this stuff. like a guy like this uh, is as skilled as obviously he is, and and uh, as good as producing. You know, I wonder if he just like man, I'll knock this out in like a week. You you gotta assume that there is an aspect to that. I did read that Eamon Tobin, when given this assignment, he uh, for the assignment for Splinter Cell Chaos, Chaos Theory, he. Actually, like he came up with the idea to rather than just have like a track that represents this uh, album or excuse me, this level and a track that does this for, you know, when you're in combat or whatever, he like made four versions of each track. And like when you would be contextually in doing a thing in the level, um, then it would change that way. And that's one of the things that I want to pull up in this track. It's called El Cargo. And normally the track is like kind of sneaky, kind of, you know, a little bit jazzy, a little bit weird, weird and creepy. And then when you get into combat, you'll hear in a second uh, what that means. But like, it is a different version of the same song that he threw together, which feels for this 2003, four game feels pretty cool. Feels pretty like intentional and not just like I pulled it from my hard drive type music. Um, but here is El Cargo by Eamon Tobin from Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, just as a quick diversion. Well, that's cool. And he obviously put thought into this. Thing. Right. And in like five seconds, you'll hear the drop. And that's like, you're in a firefight, you've been caught, you got to get out, you know, but that can happen at any time in the level. So it just like pop and it all feels natural. Again, I played this game for hundreds of hours. I know that it like does not throw you off at all to hear this music. It's great. Like that is what goes through my head when I think of Eamon Tobin's music. So anyway, Trump Samba is one of those tracks that just makes me think of that to a T to that, um, like very skittering, very uh, anxious feeling. Um, as far as other tracks that we wanted to talk about, uh, let me go back to my list real quick. Um, I know that, uh, actually we skipped it over in the beginning, but, uh, Yasawas is the second track on the streaming version of this album. Um, and it really like, the way that it builds again is very jazzy. It kind of eases you into this electronic thing with a lot of jazz hooks. Uh, I am going to skip ahead a little bit because it's a lot of silence and sound for the first 15 seconds or so. But uh, I wanted to hear what you thought about this track too, because it is more on the electronic side of jazz production. So to me, this song started out with that like islandy, uh, like dobro sound, and then came in with that very 
just a walk in E minor type jazz bass, which I think is synth. I don't think that's a natural bass, but, um, and then comes in that, that breakbeat and it kind of changes it to like a hip hop rhythm. So I've got three oh, different yeah. ideas of this song going in my head by the, by I love the this little track. Like, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. That's really exactly. I, I mean, I, I really truly, and, and again, I'm not a expert in this, in this field, but what I really like his sense of, I mean, really a sense of songwriting and mm-hmm. composition, you know, it's not like the way he kind of weaves different elements of the beat in and out. And then often like, in the middle of a song will kind of cleverly transition to something else and change the whole mood and things is, is very um, impressive. Yeah, I agree. It's like he's saying, it's like he's handing me different things. He's like, okay, hold this, you know, thing, this, this, uh, you know, this, this chunk of, like 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 a ball of sand in you in one hand and then in the other hand hold this small kitten or whatever just completely unrelated things and then, and, and, and then he's like well wait hold on to that sand i'm gonna remove the kitten from your hand and i'm gonna put a packet of kleenex in there and then i'm gonna take the sand out of the saying, other hand yeah. you know like, oh, it was i'm like, thinking the most did you ever go to like way. a children's me- children's museum where they would have these like little things like these little boxes with like a, a little curtain you put your hand yes. in there and one would be yes. like a fur from like an animal and one would be like a tooth else. or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I remember <laughs> and, and it's, it's kind of like that where it's like hey hold on to this thing get familiar with this thing and while you're holding that thing i'm going to take the other thing and i'm going to swap it out for something else like you said that do 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 that keeps coming yeah. in it's kind of creepy it's like okay i hear that but i also hear this really funky jazzy bass thing that's still going on and i'm still hearing this breakbeat that makes me want to get up and like kick my heels i i really I, I love it because it had, gets my brain, gives my brain so many different things to focus on. I was trying to say earlier, this is great biking music because if you're not listening to podcasts or whatever, uh, and you still need to focus, like it's a great way to keep your ears entertained. There's a lot of fun stereo stuff going on with this record. Yeah. Um, and yet you don't need to hear every single particular to like, because they devolve, excuse me, they evolve over minutes and minutes. Um, a really great way to like spend time with a piece of music and not get bored, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I really, dig this album i mean like i said i probably don't know where it fits in the you know evolution of drum and bass or whatever like oh, sure. music but i certainly as a listener i really enjoy it um i did want to touch on one track because this is the one point is kind of germane to this discussion um but here i feel like there's one track where he's actually doing like legitimate storytelling which i think is interesting mm-hmm. um it's uh one day in my garden Yes, um, I'm glad you brought which that is up. sort of one of the mo- more unique tracks, and I have a couple timestamps, but we can start out. You know, the beginning d- definitely gives you a, a a different feel from I think anything else on this album. Sure, here's "One Day in My Garden" from Eamon Tobin's Bricolage. a very kind of like tropical light jazz kind yeah, of feel it's brazilian um, pop you know it's, it's yeah, yeah very brazilian in, in the middle of this electronic album i love it so here's my theory mm. my crackpot theory so okay. we'll, you know we're we're enjoying this we're in the garden this is very sunny day we're very relaxed it's very cool and then um and this is another example i think of how brilliant he is with like transitions within this type of music it, let's go to 220 
Okay, so I'm enjoying my mimosa. I'm having a really yeah, nice I, Sunday morning. Yeah, it's a beautiful I'll, time. Uh, yeah, I'll have a margarita. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take a gin and tonic. Please. Ooh, a feeling adventurous this Sunday morning. And then two twenty pops around. So now there's these little kind of like darker elements. Ooh. I just caught somebody's eye and he's giving me the stink eye. So now it's totally So my theory is is like he this is about like there's a storm that comes through that day. Oh. So you're in the sun and now we're in the storm. And what we heard at 220 was kind of like the transition. You yeah, see like it you see it on the, on the horizon, yeah. Yeah. So we get this part, which is cool as well. He's really good with those really eerie kind of synth pads. Yeah. They last just um, long enough to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. But then if you go to 415, then I think the storm passes and we end up back on a nice sunny day again. Okay. Here we go. And this is all true, 100%. What he intended. <laughs> Confirmed. Guaranteed. Not just me being weird about it. <laughs> Here we go. and it kind of comes back. Yeah. I did not think about that. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to totally post this with like that picture of uh, whatever uh, Always Sunny Philadelphia bulletin board or you know, bulletin board (laughs) with conspiracy theory. (laughs) Conspiracy theory board. Charlie doing that. Eamon Tobin made a song about drinking mimosas in his garden and then a story comes through. (laughs) Yeah. And I got a million like yarn things tied to different <laughs> thumbtacks. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love this song. Um, what was another one I, part I wanted to get? Um, a song I really liked on this was Wires and Snakes at about 135. Um, I thought this was just cool the way he kind of, again, man, the, the way he really juxtaposes and, and interweaves like older jazz influences and like in very organic sounds with mm-hmm. really modern and, and kind of disconcerting, you know, synthesizer textures and, and technology is very interesting to me. All right. Let's get an example with uh, wires and snakes at about one minute and 35 seconds. Just like that, that little sax line there. Mm-hmm. Sax, uh, uh, clarinet. Oh, uh, it could be clarinet. Klezmer, right. something like that. I'm not smart oh. enough to identify reeds. What about oboe? Could be an oboe. Could be an oboe. I think there's some jazz oboists, maybe. Yeah. Probably is. There's jazz everythingists, man. There's <laughs> a jazz harpist. That, that's that got to sound Nash. fucking sick. 
Yeah, uh, Dorothy Ashby, I think's her name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard some of her stuff on my Spotify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I, I was thinking about with this record is, um, like, this record is from 1997. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still, parts of it sound, like, very futuristic to me still. The one, that, yes. Two, I think it's partially that a lot of artists that make music like this and even pop music that leans into this are using sounds like this that like wow sound that we just heard that appears in a lot of modern pop music especially like hyper pop music i think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right and i think dubstep took a lot of that like low like mm-hmm. kind of like bass throbbing kind of thing um but yeah i mean you know like if you would have told me this is a new record i don't know enough about how edm and things have have um evolved i would i wouldn't have said like oh this sounds really old it sounds like a 90s thing you know yeah yeah um Ooh, that's some low low end yeah i, I was i listened to it really loud and it was pretty cool <laughs> that's <laughs> like, not like really, a way to way to listen to this yeah on the stereo the bass was like ridiculous <laughs> Well, is there anything else that uh, stuck out to you here? You know, that, I, that was actually, we hit on all of my high points okay. for this record. It is it is an album that's worth listening to full through, I think, though. Uh, yeah, you know. no, I mean, like I said, I, I definitely see myself listening to this, especially, um, I hate to say this because it always feels like it's a slight or a faint praise, but it seems like a good album to listen to while you're working at home. Oh yeah, it's got to be. Um, just because it, it it has a cool atmosphere, and, and you know, you touched on that same thing where it's like there's a lot of cool little things that pop up, but it doesn't necessarily like grab you by the collar and like pull you towards it. You know, yeah, you, gotta, gotta, yeah. you can kind of just like hear it evolve and kind of morph into different things without. And it doesn't have vocals, which always helps for me. Um, yeah, there's like one work stuff, one like spoken word bit pulled from a horror movie or something like that. But that's mm-hmm. kind of it as far as sound, or excuse me, yeah. spoken sound. <clears throat> So this was, I mean, I, I really, I'm glad I chose this one because I think I actually will continue to listen to this maybe. Uh, I definitely, I think I will this next week because I think it just has a cool, has a cool vibe. Um, yeah. I mean, I, the perfect 10 thing, I, I, hmm. How do you, how do you feel? Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, I really like this record. It's a great record. And again, like the, the numerical score isn't something I'm super attached to. Um, I don't necessarily feel qualified in a way to evaluate that just because I, I feel like I sort of have a, you know, somewhat okay, basic knowledge of some dance music and electronic music stuff, but I don't really like what were his peers at this time doing or, you know, right. Right. What were other albums in this vein doing at that time? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Now, when I split into like, what's my number for an album? And I, you know, because I was raised on the internet, I absolutely do for pretty much every album I listen to. And, <laughs> it's and I, have a number. I, I make my, you know, concessions about, well, you know, artistic intent and critical appraisal and whatever. But like in your heart of hearts, when you're listening to a thing, you feel, regardless of what you know, you feel a certain thing about it usually. I feel like a 7.5 out of this album, and that is a well, like an incredibly well-earned 7.5, but with the full knowledge that like I don't normally listen to this type of music, the use case yeah. for me listening to this type of music is not gigantic, so my frequency is going to be low. Um, I like I can identify parts of it that I really like and that I'll go back to, but like as far as listening to it a bunch of times or like obsessing over it, I don't think I'm going to do that. And so that's like 
it doesn't quite get there into like classics and perm. And this is just Jason's, you know, this is not well, any sort of wide ranging, like a perfect 10 in my book is like music from big pink or whatever. That's not, it's not like every album gets it. It's not like it's hard to get it or whatever. It's just like, yeah, I, um, yeah. I, uh, so wait though, is this a seven, five on a scale where five is, where five is average, uh, or is yes, it like yes. a game for like scale where <laughs> where nothing seven is average and everyone complains about it all the time for no, no, I, all eternity. I take it from a like every album starts as a zero. Like until you show me what's great about it, okay, I don't believe in it at all. I don't think so. So you're considering seven five a good score. Seven five like, is is an incredibly yeah. good. I think it's a, a very really good, good score. Okay. I, I right. still think that yeah. I preferred the Wilkover album because I'll go back to that more often. I believe, but like again, totally made up as all, you know, critical measures are totally made up yeah. in my brain. It earns it's 75% of 100 and that's in inc- yeah. like okay. very well, well done. Do, do you have anything I mean, like that? Also yeah. to be fair, like we probably couldn't have tried to get two more <laughs> disparate albums. Yes. And I really love I that's mean, that's it, the like, crossfit magic. I don't even know how I would compare this album to Wilco, but um, I definitely enjoyed it a lot. I mean, I think, and I think I okay. actually will go back to it. Maybe not in the obsession kind of thing, because sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I think albums that have, it's just, I don't feel like it's that kind of album for me, but I, I definitely see it. Yeah, I definitely see a lot of like occasions or circumstances or just kind of day to day stuff where I would, I would turn to this just as like, you know, I don't, again, I'm not an expert in this kind of music. So it's sure. like one that I know I like, if I want to kind of have that sort of vibe, I'd just be like, Oh yeah, we did that on, on CrossFit. I loved it. Right. So and I definitely see listening to it often. Definitely. Uh, in that respect. Um, I, I de- like, and it's also going to be an example album. Like, Oh, I want a great example or a great touchstone for like this mix of jazz jungle fusion, uh, electronic breakbeat and, you know, Brazilian pop music. And I'm going to be able to yeah. go to one day in my garden and say that is like a really good example of that, you know? So yeah, my seven, five it does is. not, does not make it like, Oh, every song is a seven point is between 7.5 and zero. It's like, it's not really that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you kind of a, a touchstone just to be like, if, if you're asking somebody like, Hey, I really love pre-collage by Eamon Tobin, you know, like what's something else I might like, you mm-hmm. know, I always kind of like to have those little, outpost albums in the genre i'm not like a super expert at yeah great point great point um this was a really fun exercise it definitely was fun it it was interesting because it was something i had no frame of reference for and then something i i listened to very deeply for a a while in the past so that was kind of a cool um experience i'm I'm glad i got to talk Um, to you about an album you listened to a shit ton back in the day yeah yeah um so we will be back in a couple of weeks. We're working on some guests here. We're going to get back on that horse as well. And uh, I think we should have some exciting things coming up. And, uh, you know, as always, we uh, we appreciate you listening. If you would like to support MinMax, you can go to patreon.com slash MinMax, M-I-N-N-M-A-X. And uh, also check out everything that, that everyone, the gang at MinMax is doing every day on the Internet. They're, they're doing a lot of cool video game and, and pop culture and movie-related content. So I think you would like it. Once again, thank you, and uh, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.